Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, the other arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo. I feel like such an idiot. We had this golden guest sitting under our noses the whole time, and it never occurred to me for Mel to be a guest. When Cliff said it, it was like, duh. Yeah, well, she's an obvious choice because not only uh, well, not only is she you know my favorite person on the planet, but um, she was on Finding Bigfoot for a couple seasons. She's done paranormal investigations. She is a UFO witness. She's in all sorts of weird stuff. It's awesome. She's also a Finding Bigfoot recreation. So. Right, right, exactly. Which ones, were, which ones were you in again, Mel? Um, it's season eight, I believe, um, and the one. I believe the title is Squatchy Meets Drony or Squatchy meets, Loves. Uh, no. Squatchy Loves Dr- Drony. Drone, yeah, Drony Loves Squatchy. Yeah. Yeah, I got to do the uh, reenactment near Mount Hood on government camp, I believe it was. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, you were, I was the, uh, they were my witnesses, the mother-daughter team. Right. Yes. Right. Yes, you were on that with me. Yeah. You, yeah, you did the recreate with it, yeah. Because I was getting super mad at Rich when that season is our executive supervising producer, and I was ragging him out super hard up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a difficult one for me to work with. <laughs> well, we, we've had a, a good team. I, I believe everybody who was involved has a good uh, heart. Yeah, but the hard thing about this right now <laughs> is that we realize that, uh, you know, we have listeners right now, and, and let, let me just say this. Um, this week's guest is my wife, Melissa Berrickman. She was once, uh, Melissa Babiak, but, uh, I, we met on finding Bigfoot and, you know, cause like we're already talking and whatever else. And I, I want to invite the listeners to come in and participate with this too. So she, everybody knows who we have. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, Melissa Berrickman. Who's my wife. She's the co-owner of the North American Bigfoot center. She has a lot of weird paranormal history in her background. Uh, she worked on finding Bigfoot for a couple seasons, so um, we thought this would be a fun guest because at the end of the day, Bigfoot and Beyond is basically, you know, Cliff and the Bobes hanging out, talking to friends. Um, so who better than my very best friend on the planet? Oh, what a nice intro. Well, maybe, I love you too. Maybe, maybe maybe you'll like me eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could go on for another 10 minutes just bestowing accolades on Mel, but I think that'd make her blush too much, so I won't. I know. I love you too, Bobo. Yeah, you're awesome. Cliff scored. <laughs> yeah, I really did. I, I can't believe how lucky I got. So. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know if you remember this, Bobo, <laughs> but I was thinking of, of my time on the show, and I remembered our first night investigation. That was basically my first day. We were in upstate New York, the Whitehall episode, and we were doing a night investigation, and I was told to go find you, and it was pitch dark, and I didn't know who anyone was. I know who you were, so I, I was good. And I, I said to myself, I know you walked away 
this direction, so I'm gonna go there. And I'm putting my flashlight around and I come to a corner and my flashlight hits you and you're peeing. <laughs> and it was so embarrassing because I, I, you know, and then I quickly, you turn around like, hey, and then I, I, I just, you know, move the flashlight. But I was so embarrassed because it was my first day and I caught you peeing in my flashlight. You were embarrassed. I think I was not holding too well down there. I was embarrassed. <laughs> I doubt that in some sort of way. You know, I, I don't think you care because I've seen you literally turn around, take three steps away from a circle of people, you know, talking and start peeing, you know, five paces away or something like that. I don't want to end up in a missing 411 book. Yeah, true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Actually, I'm just lazy. <laughs> no, you're really great, though. And ever, everyone was so nice. And I, I heard my first Bigfoot call um, in uh, or Turner, Maine, which was my second episode. Yeah, that was a good. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you joined us up there. I always just thought you were about who was the first. We had those three episodes with you back east. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I remember Talking Baby and I had to go bring sticks to you guys. And he's really fast and, and young. And he was down the hill in like two seconds, but I was way up top coming down myself. And I heard something to my left and it was sort of the direction you guys were, but it was just a terrifying guttural sound. And I can't say it was certainly a Sasquatch, but I didn't know. I, it just didn't sound like anything I'd heard before. There were at least one Bigfoot around there that night because we heard him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that final night mm -hmm. investigation on those people's property um, it was very interesting, I thought, um, and not only because Moneymaker got those great vocalizations like the night before, I think it was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we went to the same spot, which is cool because you know, I, I sometimes think, well, if you get them one night, you're not going to get them the next. But apparently this this, this location uh, changed my mind a bit on that. Yeah, so when we went back there, I, I remember uh, while we were out in the woods, I was with Renee, I believe, on that one. And we were going after something that was knocking. You know, there was, it was knocking from, you know, 150 yards away. We'd go that direction. It just totally outpaced us. But it, it was just continued to knock and kind of lead us into the swamp. I'm thinking, well, man, who's 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 chasing who at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. Is that the same episode we got RPG on Therm? And we yeah, yeah, that, that, that was the same night, actually. <laughs> That's right. Because we're right. doing um, interviews that night, and we heard the, the Sasquatch followed us back to base camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we were doing interviews and, you know, doing camera stuff and whatever else we we're doing, um, it was running around the woods, like right right behind us, basically. Oh, yeah, because I, I remember I threw the apple out there and into the swamp. We heard something run out there, grab it, and run off again. On mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, you know, for people uh, listening, if you look on YouTube, there's, a, there's footage um, taken at this very location. Um, which is kind of what brought us there. And some people don't think the footage is real, but uh, because the the kid, he was like what thirteen or something at the time when he filmed it, um, he got he got such a heckling by everybody that he eventually says, "Yeah, yeah, fine, I faked it, whatever." And so now people are saying, "Oh, he admitted to faking it." Well, kinda. He had, he told us he had, he said that he faked it just to get people to stop teasing him and harassing him about it. But um, we spoke to his parents. Um, his parents both had heard the Sasquatch. In fact, they had filmed it just a, like two weeks before this other piece of footage um, was obtained. Um, and so basically they have this big uh, five or six acre parcel that's rectangular in shape um, that's cleared out, but it's thick woods around it. So uh, this thing was a couple times a week for maybe a couple weeks. It would uh, start vocalizing 
and then walk around the property, you know, not, not circumnavigate it, but just on its way through, it would walk in the woods. And um, they were hearing this thing. They didn't know what it was. They got this, they thought it was a person trespassing at first because they actually got it on camera, this big, dark, human-shaped thing in the woods. And then uh, a week or two or so later, the kid, uh, he wanted, he heard the thing, and he wanted to capture the vocalizations. So he brought his video camera, because he knew the video camera had a decent mic on it, and it would do, and he went and he put it on top of this, uh, I think it was a have a heart trap, you know, those, those cage traps for raccoons. And it happened to be pointing down this old logging road off into the woods. And then he left because he just wanted to record the vocalizations. Um, but apparently this thing walked in front of the camera at about 70, 80, 100 yards away or something like that. It's very brief, but I think it's legit based on our experiences there. Oh, I, I, I'm convinced we had one, at least one there that night. That was because well, people here don't know listening. Well, actually, a lot of people that listen to us met us on the road, you know, town halls and stuff like that. But what was the greatest part about that night was RPG, who's the guy we've mentioned, who's actually I talked to today, is going to be a guest coming up. Um, he was, most people know him for being on Expedition Bigfoot for that first two episodes when he got sick. But um, yeah, he was, he'd, he'd wear this stupid Jack Sparrow dreadlock pirate hat thing with dreadlock. I hate that thing. Aww. It was so lame, but he had it on. <laughs> he went out to go look in the, in the, in the swamp for, uh, he was up the swamp doing something out there, and he had his, he had his dreadlock wig on. And Talking Baby, who was our uh, tech guy, he was Joe, our older producer. Not older, just Joe was our producer. His little brother graduated college, and he got him a job with us. We called him Talking Baby because he looked he literally looked like he was 12 years old. He was small, rosy little pink cheeks, and just <laughs> naive to the world. And so he's sitting there. He believes he's filming a Bigfoot. He's got tears streaming down his face, like, I got it. I got it. I saved the show. I remember he said that. Yeah. Yeah, he was filming RPG on a thermal imager and he couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> I remember seeing like RPG was doing his hand puppets. Remember? One hand was moving like a puppet, and then the other one was moving like a puppet. Like it was talking to each other. And then he threw an apple. And then that's when we realized it was RPG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's <dreadlocks>. He <laughs> yeah. was giving it his offering. And RPG, as we know, has a huge heart and um, believes in these things. And um, I don't know, he just really, he's, he's a kind soul. He is. He, yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's the nicest guy. He, he always does this all the time, but it's hard to say who more so, him or Foskey, but the two nicest guys in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that would be um, an interesting cage match about who's nicer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good show. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know I, I worked on it, but like I say, it was such a special show. And and just the chemistry between everybody, um, it's just something special that I don't think you could really ever do again. Unless, I mean, unless you have people, I, I don't know. I just think the connections between the four of you um, and even the crew, you know, it's just really it was special. It seems yeah. even like those guys jump show to show to show. They, they mm -hmm. also they said like, you know, they have their show families and like you get close, whoever you're filming with, you know, you get close, but they all said like, you know, people working in the industry 10, 15 years said that was a special thing. And, and the, I, I know we've said it, people probably heard us say this a lot, but the crew was just as big a part or bigger than the, than the cast. I mean, we had, a, we were together for years and we, 
we really were a family on the road and that added to the whole atmosphere. And yeah, it was, there was good chemistry for sure. And it, it, there was a lot of it coming from off camera. Like a lot of the jokes had making stuff was talking with <laughs> Hamill, you know, off camera or Gramps yeah. guy, or Chad, the executive producer, Chad Hamill, like, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the one-liners like they'd put in the show was me saying it to Chatter Gramps, trying to get them to laugh. But then they edited in the show, or or <laughs> Hamill would throw me a bone, like give me a lead-in to say something funny, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it helped that a couple of our producers were, you know, uh, um, you know, hobbyists in the in, in the stand-up comedian realm. <laughs> yeah. Let's just put it bluntly, Cliff. Failed stand-up comics. <laughs> 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 it takes balls to do that kind of stuff. I give I give them credit. Didn't you do some stand up now a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I did about two years back in Pittsburgh, where I'm from. Um, I I did okay. Well, it started it as I took acting classes because I thought, yeah, that's interesting. I'll try that and um, something to do outside of work, you know. And I, I I got a guy teaching me, and he would just laugh every time. I would try to be serious and I, I, you know, I, I, he would put me in these situations with other actors and he would just laugh. And I thought I was like Meryl Streep in it. You know, I was like, I'm killing it. And, and he just said one day, stop paying me. Cause like, just go do stand up because I think that that's more you. <clears throat> so I gave up my acting career dream and, uh, I, I did that. And then, uh, I do play guitar a little bit. So I would write stupid songs and sing them in front of people. And I did that uh, for about two years. And then and when it stops being fun is when um, it's weird because when you start getting paid, it's because um, if you're just doing it for fun, and you're not getting paid. No one gets hurt. It's like not a business thing, you know, but as soon as you start getting paid and then the pressure starts to come on you, I, I didn't do well with that. Uh, right. it, it became a different thing, but I had a, a lot of fun and a lot of embarrassing um embarrassing nights many <laughs> but when you kill a room like happen like one or two times like that's the best feeling in the whole world is when you you get a whole group of people to be happy and laugh it's just the best yeah that, that would be cool mm-hmm. i've had a few of those moments like we're we're clicking on all cylinders and yeah the crowd's loving it and then as soon as you're done, you're like, oh, shit, I'll never be able to do that again. I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, the bar was raised. I'm not going to be able to do it. And plus working an office job, like I got up at five in the morning, drove an hour to work, worked all day, went home, grabbed my guitar, amps, all that stuff. And then my show wasn't on until like nine. And I like to sleep. And Cliff can verify this. But uh, it's really hard to be funny and smart when you've been up since five. And it's nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's weird. That's why I sleep in late. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? It's not laziness. It's actually just more consideration. It to you is, yeah. Because I have to talk to you, and I want you to have a good time talking to me by laughing. Yeah, I, I always do. You're very funny. Cliff's very funny. He comes up with some jokes. So I, I have a new joke, but I'm still working on the wording. It, it, but it's something like, um, I, I, I haven't been able to sleep lately because of the noise. So I clearly need to. Well, I've been able to. Well, let me see. I shut up. I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> I haven't been able to sleep lately because of the noise. I have to change my my hair conditioner because there's too much volume in it. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I clearly like the delivery needs more polishing. But I, there's something in there, I think. Here he is. Something makes you think that's had to have been told before. 
Yeah. Yeah. Most of my really good jokes that I make up apparently were other people's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're very funny. Yeah. You have a smart humor thing. Yeah. I enjoy yeah. being clever. Mm -hmm. It makes me groan sometimes, but I still enjoy it. Yeah. Same. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's a growing experience. No, oh. groan. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so Mel, what, what did you think about Bigfoot when you got when you found out you're gonna work on finding Bigfoot? What was what what did you think about that? Like as far as there being Bigfoots for real? Yeah, well, like I said, when I got on the show, I didn't really have much of a belief system in them. I just thought I, I know I was more of a paranormal ghost and alien type of person. Yeah. So um but then when I got on the show, you know, and, and saw that you guys actually are really squatching and you're serious and uh it's more science-based than i thought it was and then especially after hearing the uh the vocalization in maine I, I i was just like my tables turned and i thought wow this is there's so much that i don't know and and finding bigfoot was a really great place for me to learn um as much as it was like working and learning about how tv works but um more so you know just about the species and how no there's something to this and people um, should pay attention because they're not alone. <laughs> right. And so, and you, so you went to like a town hall, you heard people, then you went out, you know, you'd be on set doing like recreations with witnesses. And when was it, was it like the hearing that sound that night at, at the Turner location in Maine? Like mm -hmm. what, what was it where you just also were like, Oh my God, these are real. Yeah. Um, because of where it was, you know, and I was a little on edge because it was dark and I was alone because talking baby is like so, you know, limber. <laughs> it was so fast down the hill, left old me up there. Um, I was a little on edge and I heard like a, a, a rustling in the, in the woods, like I said, up to my right. And it was really high up on the, it felt like it was in the tree almost. So I can't say it might not have been, you know, maybe a cougar or something, but I don't even know if they have many of them there, but um, the sound, um, and I, I remember telling RPG after afterwards, and I couldn't do it. My voice won't let me actually get as low as I need to go, but it was just like a like a groan and kind of like, don't be here, you know, like get out. I kind of felt, uh, that's the energy I felt coming from it. Right. Meanwhile, you guys were probably 75, 80 yards away, <laughs> you know, up that way. So it was checking you out, I think. Hmm. You know, you guys do make a ruckus in the woods. So. Yeah, yeah, you can't be quiet with cameras and sound yeah. people around and everything. So. But you did a good job. I mean, I think, I mean, most of us stayed back at base camp. So, um, you know, I, I think you guys did the best you could. You know, it's a TV show, but you did the best you could with less people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know? I think so. I think um, so. But I remember going and running to Joe James's car because he picked us up and um, I, I couldn't wait to tell him. I was like, I think I heard something. And it was, and it made like the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. You know, it was just one of those things that I felt I, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. Well, you said you had a second experience when we were filming. What was that? Either it's a parakeet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know what that sound was. Sorry. Sergio. <laughs> um, the second, um, was actually the same night you guys were referring to our last night investigation. I was with you and Grandpa. Oh, and oh, by the way, Grandpa's our audio guy. I don't even know why you guys call him Grandpa. How that's he came with that name. Oh, okay. Um, but he's amazing, and I love him too. And uh, I was standing with him because sometimes he would let me do sound with him. And Bobo, we were interviewing you, 
And that's when you were like, Shh, everybody shut up because it was right behind you. Um, and I think I heard a knock that night too from base camp. Since oh. you hear one in Oregon with Moneymaker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like another, yeah. Yeah, that's another hear, episode. Yeah. yeah. Like mm-hmm. up here on Mountain Hood, you heard one. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it was just, um, you know, that that area is just, I mean, if you look at the map, it seems everything about midway and up, you know, from um, from that Turner Main area, that, that's just, there's no one around. It's pretty desolate, the northern part of the state. Oh, yeah. So, makes sense that they would be around. Well, tell us what happened in uh, Oregon here with <clears throat> Moneymaker. Oh, the bathroom? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in Oregon, we did an episode, and um, I'm not even sure where it was exactly, but. That was on the north side of Mount Hood, kind of uh, uh, west of Parkdale. Okay, because it was before I moved here, so I have no idea where I was. But uh, so I was kind of stoked, as probably a couple of the other girls. We rarely get a bathroom when we're out working. So this place had a uh, brick area. It was like a rest stop sort of thing and it had a bathroom in there no electricity I think or it was anything. a trailhead wasn't it like, like a, a bike yeah. path or, yeah, or a jogging right. path trailhead or something it was a trailhead That's what yeah. I think. yeah and um we, we were there and it was night and um we were i think we were holding because it was going to be an investigation later so we were just kind of hanging out by the cars and i went to the restroom and i brought my phone with a flashlight and uh i came out and it was like this like thunderous, um, like I, I, it's so hard to put into words because it's like an energy and I had never heard of infrasound before. So, um, I didn't know what that feeling was, but, uh, it was to my left when I walked out of the building and it was just like, it was almost what I heard here. And, um, and Matt Moneymaker was coming towards me and he goes, what Mel, you look worried. (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, I said, well, something weird happened. He goes, there's a Sasquatch right up there. And that's where I heard this. And it was almost like, like, it's hard to explain, Bobo, but it was really weird. And it was actually valid because Matt came up and he saw that I was concerned and like worried about like what might be over there. And he uh, actually validated that I did feel something that way, but super weird. Yeah, Matt Matt was definitely looking out for you. Yeah, (laughs) he's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he I remember he was on fire that night. What remember the doing? fish hatcheries and all that? He was just I wasn't like, there. I was camping. Is, oh, he was just on fire. You know how he is when he knows they're around and he knows that they're at the fish hatchery down the road. And he, he was just he was mad. He was he was exactly the math that we love, you know, <laughs> on fire. He he thought Clint was causing you a Me Too movement. He was like, Clint needs to back off this poor girl. <laughs> oh my goodness that's hilarious no matt was very very nice he was uh you know he he's very protective of you because uh, matt's yeah. wife is polish and you're polish too yeah i'm polish mm-hmm. yeah he's very protective of you and because uh, i think because of that connection somehow yeah we i had to drive him to set like it was over two hours one day and he talked to me all about being polish most of it. Did he, did he teach you something about being Polish? Yes. His, his, <laughs> now his I know. Wife is, his wife is Polish, therefore he's he, he know he can tell you a he's few an things expert. about yeah. how you should be Polish. Yes. We we <laughs> we supposedly really want babies, uh, which is funny because I I didn't. But um, and what, what was the other one? I forget. He Polish said, women make the best mothers. He told me that once. <laughs> <laughs> I just love him. He's great. Yeah, he was um, super protective. I mean, he was a good friend to me, as as you were too at that what time. What about when he got in your car and, and? Oh yeah, I had the I had uh, my own navigation on my windshield, 
And Matt, like your phone or something. Yeah. I had all that up. Yeah. And uh, Matt comes in my car. He just takes it off and then sticks up his <laughs> garment up on the window, you know, without even saying a word, just like, <laughs> he was like, this is the best one on the market, you know? <laughs> and I said, okay, well, we'll, you know, I, I'm very breezy with, I don't care, but he was funny. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> ahead, Bubs. When we were at the town halls, which witness stuck the most with you that you heard that you talked heard talk in person that, that you thought was the most compelling? Is there anyone you can think of? Hmm. Um, oh man. It's funny. Cause now I know these people, you know, like Mike and Tom and all those people. Hmm. I, it's, it's weird now because I moved here now I know most of those people. Um, I think the first, um, town hall, there was a, a white hall, um, the town hall that we had on that first episode I was on, there was, a uh, folks on there that saw Sasquatch, uh, going across the golf course. Oh yeah. And, and that one, I just thought, what, like, why would a Sasquatch go on a golf course, which is clearly, you know, pretty open, not, you know, I, I thought that was interesting. And, and then we ended up going and investigating at night there. And um, it indeed was true that it did happen. And I, I thought that was a really odd one. And that does stick out in my brain because it was probably the first episode too. You know, I remember a lot more because I was just trying to, you know, take it all in. Yeah, that's the Skeen or Skeena? No, Skeen, I think, Valley Golf Course mm -hmm. outside of Whitehall. And then the witness, he was an older gentleman. By the time we went back there, he was passed away. Um, but I had been there, I was there a few years earlier when I was camping for the Vermont episode with Tyler, we went over there to poke around Whitehall cause I'd never been, I thought it'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, his name was Cliff Sparks. Yeah. Oh, wow. what yeah, a name. That's a great name. Yeah, totally. Um, cause obviously Cliff and, and Sparks, one of my favorite bands love, too, so yeah. Cliff Sparks. Yeah. He's the guy that saw it on, on that, uh, what hole was it? Like whole three or something or I, I don't remember. I don't but. remember that much about it, but I just remember that. Stand. I think his wife ended up coming. Yeah. He was dead. He yeah. Cause I think his He's wife busy. ended up coming to the town hall mm -hmm. and that was, and I think that also resonated with me cause he, he had passed, but she's like holding his, you know, his sighting, you know, it's like tribute to him. Like I'm going to tell you about his sighting. And I thought that was nice. Yeah. You know, cause she didn't see it, but I don't know. There's been so many great witnesses, you know, and, and, and ridiculous stories, you know, I mean, that you just don't even believe, but it's intriguing, you know? Yeah. Now you're continuing with the museum. Oh my gosh. You hear, <laughs> you hear stories every, every week. I you know, do. You're, you're hearing new Bigfoot stories coming out of there. Yeah. So. That's one of the, yeah. I mean, we could talk about that later too, about being in the museum business, but yeah, I mean, it's, people have a lot of stories and uh, you know, you spend five minutes in our museum on a Saturday, you'll hear a couple. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think of all these skeptics saying, well, how come people don't see them more? Like, holy crap, you yeah. have no idea what's going on. The real question is, why don't you know about more of them, really, Mr. Skeptic or Mrs. Skeptic? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people just go on YouTube. I, I find a lot of people who say, yeah, did you see this video? Did you see that video? And, you know, and the, unfortunately, those don't really, you know, I'm such a skeptic with that because I come from ghosts, too, the ghost world. And it's so easy to to fake stuff, you know, and I, I, I'd rather just tell them to go read a book and learn about it and uh, learn about sightings that are documented in a book, perhaps, instead of someone on YouTube. You know, wh why did they start filming? Why did they stop filming? You know, if it was happening, why'd they stop? There's so many bogus things out there. Right. 
Yeah. You know, we, I mean, we said it a hundred times. It's like, I was pissed we left the first time too. And that happened. I'm like, why are we leaving? We got them right here. This is, you know, and they're like, look, we got 20 hotel rooms. We have to, you know, yes. we got eight rental, you know, vehicles. We got yeah. plane tickets to get there. We got caterers lined up and, and the film permits are for certain days. Right. So we had, we had to, to go, which, which yeah. sucked, but it's just the way, it, you know, it's just the way it went. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot on the pre-production side that you just can't, you know, unfortunately, you just can't do that. You can't just stay over, you know, if something's happening, you can't go get a permit for the next day. Well, yeah, you remember that every episode is being planned for at least three months before we get boots on the ground there. Mm-hmm. Three months of planning. And I mean, I don't know how much episodes cost, but, you know, Animal Planet gives the production company, let's say, three or $400,000 to make an episode. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. We had the best advanced field producers, too. I mean, they just did such a great job. Yeah, advanced field producers for the listeners are the people who get to the site a week or so before the, you know, like we would get there. And just to make sure everything's lined up, you know, with it's like the meals are taken care of, the locations are, uh, you know, uh, taken care of, all the permits are there. We have the witnesses that we need in case no good, like surprise ones show up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I got to say that our advanced field producers, especially once we started rolling season one, okay, I'm sure they did a great job, but once we had the same people in the same position for like a couple of years. A lot of our producers turn into really good Bigfooters, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and they knew what to look for, and that really helped the show so much. Because you know these LA, you know, producer hacks—they're a bunch of kids, basically. They don't know. They don't. They, they live in LA. They don't know the woods for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know anything about Bigfoot. But you know, we essentially trained ours, where you know Natalie or uh, Mantooth or you know, a lot of these people, be, they they would be just just fine squatchers, basically. Yeah, our producers would do whatever it took to get that film permit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, they did it the right way too. You know, they did. We did. We never just went, you know, rogue and just decided to film when we didn't have the permit. Well, so. actually, we did a couple of times. Oh, but not when yeah, I was on there. Not when maybe not when you were on there, but <laughs> no. we did a few times. That's okay. We didn't screw around when Mel was there, but before you got there, we did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. Oh man, yeah, the crew was great. I remember um, just the first day. Remember Chris Carter? He he was the I think he was the fixer for. He started when I started. Now he lives in Asheville. Yeah, yeah, Chris. It, it was his first episode too, and we were both kind of nervous. Well, he was really nervous. He, well, yeah, well, he was a fixer. He I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, you know, yeah, he, for starting out nothing. You know, he'd never done it before. Became yeah. a fixer, which is like. You know, not the ground level that you'd come in at usually, yeah. like a couple floors above that. It stressed him out so bad. It, didn't he lose a bunch of he weight? He lost weight in like a week. <laughs> and he's, then, like, he's like, yeah, like 10 or 15 yeah. pounds down. And so, the guy didn't have a lot to lose. No. And I remember we ended up having a room together it, like for a night or two because budgetary or whatever. And um, and I just remember him like us talking it out and be like, we're going to be OK. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, what I mean, you're doing great, Chris. And he he turned in to be like a really good asset. And um, I got to bring in RPG on this, too, because he is the most positive person you'd ever meet. And I remember our first day, he just talked to us and just said, you guys, we're going to rock this and you're not going to mess up. He was just such a good um, support system, you know, because it was a little chaotic, you know, when you first start. And yeah. he was just like our cheerleader. <laughs> we hadn't been properly trained with him yet, but I got him all in line. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was my money maker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had we had a 
Stacy Brown on last night, and he was singing RPGs praises as well. Oh. So that's yeah. two guests in a row. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure RPG learned a lot about squatching from the show, you know, from working on the show so long. I think that you guys taught him everything much, he knows you know? from that show. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, with the guys that worked on the show, like, I mean, he was with us since season two to the end. So, I mean, he was there for like seven, eight years. And, um, I mean, doing that, working on Funny Bigfoot, you really, you become a squatcher just by osmosis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Even the, um, I, I think most of the crew maybe came in kind of doubtful about Sasquatch as being real, but most of them left pretty convinced, I think. You know, even the diehards like Grandpa and those guys, you know, like he may be skeptical still, but he's much more open to it than he was. He knows they're real. He's admitted it. Yeah, we got to get him on there. That'll be fun. <laughs> well, you know, Bobo, um, you, you met Melissa, of course, through the Bigfoot thing, but she was doing all sorts of other paranormal things before. Like uh, she would travel to uh, like like that one UFO crash site in Pennsylvania. Um, she had done a number of ghost investigations um, and even took some weird photographs of mm -hmm. some stuff. I did. Yeah, you were, tell, you tell were correct. About that. Tell us about that. Well, let's see. Where do I begin? Paranormal stuff. I would say my mom worked at a um, adult uh, with disabilities kind of house. Um, and she worked in the healthcare field. And that house was supposedly a gateway for spirits or something. I don't know. I heard all about it growing up. But she weird stuff there. happened there. Weird right? stuff, like in front of me. Yes. Um, there have been times where I had um, been in the kitchen because, you know, she had to take me with her. Um, because she didn't have a sitter. So they were really lenient with her. I can come with her. So she didn't have to get anybody. And, um, and uh, I remember a really scary night I'll talk about, but, uh, so it was near Christmas time. There was a snowstorm and I was with her. She had to spend the night, um, because of the storm. And, uh, I had been in her office and we heard the front door bang, uh, the front door open, screen door open footsteps right outside her office. And then they stopped. And I remember hearing that. And I said, what is that? And she said it was Santa Claus. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, I probably believed her. Well, how actually. old were you? I was probably five. Five, okay. Yeah. And six, maybe, actually. Might have been six. I remember this, though. And um, and then so she got freaked out and ended up calling my aunt to come down in the snowstorm because she got scared. And um, so Kimmy came, and we all went in the office. And there were beds in there, even. So we were all going to bed and then we hear this big sonic boom thing in the house. And it sounded like thousands of papers falling from the air and landing. You know that sound? It's like, it just sounds like paper falling. And we turned the light on, there was nothing. And then the door that we had closed and locked was bending inwards. And then it went boom, like really loud. Like, and then it went normal. And I remember seeing that and thinking, what was that? And they had gotten the house blessed, um, and then there were rats everywhere. Um, the the residents upstairs said there was big black spook up there, um, and he broke out all the windows on the top floor because he said he was after him. And there's just been like tons of stories. I've seen uh, cans of soup just spinning on their own on the countertops. Um, yeah, my mom got the shower turned off on her while she was in the shower. It like the the, the nozzle turn the whole way over. I mean, it's just a really, so I kind of grew up with like knowing that there might be something else out there. Right. And, um, 
you know, and in college, there was a, a really good cemetery near our university. So at night we would go drink drinking <laughs> and sitting, you know, around and getting scared because that's what we did back then. And um, and as an adult, I, I remember I'd go back and take groups of people up there because I found out a lot of people like ghosts and wanted to go. And, and I always got a lot of activity up there on my audio recorders or K2 meters or whatever. So I used to take groups of people up. And we would just, I'd give them equipment and they'd go around and play for a couple hours and then we'd leave. And I never took money or anything. It was just like a fun thing. Um, so I used to do that. And then uh, that's kind of where, you know, I, I, I just I just loved the fact that what are these things that I'm capturing in, in a photo or a, a weird disembodied voice on my recorder? I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. Um, but yeah. And and the, are you talking about the picture at Mount? The penitentiary? Mount, yeah. Yeah. So my mom and I, and my aunt, she's always involved in this. <laughs> aunt Kimmy, I love you. So we all went to uh, Moundsville State Penitentiary in West Virginia, which is supposed to be one of the, you know, most haunted places, like they say, you know. They run tours there. Like that's a, They do. Yeah. yeah, they do tours. It's been closed since 97 or 92 or something. And there's been over 230 deaths there, I believe. Wow. And um, yeah, a lot of people died by hanging and by the chair. And they have investigations. You can go overnight from like six to eight a.m. or something like that. And it was like fifty bucks at the time per person. Six so, p.m. to eight a.m. Yeah. Okay. Six p.m. Yeah, I should probably <laughs> six p.m. to eight a.m. And uh, we went, and I got this image, and I'll send it to you guys if you want to see it. It is in death row, and my mom and I were together, and I heard something close, like metal, and I just turned around, and then I snapped the photo, and. With a flash, though, right? Because yeah, it was totally flash. pitch dark. It was pitch black, yeah. yeah. So it was uh, with a flash. And what I got, it was a smoky black stuff coming from the ground, going up the rails to the second floor outside of all the stalls. And then there's – and then at the top, there's like this figure eight thing that has all these little tentacles on it. It is the creepiest thing. Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to scare you, Bobo, but it was scary. You got me, you got me freaked out, Mel. <sighs> It is. A, you've seen it. It's scary. Oh, yeah. It's a weird picture. It is. So mm -hmm. I'll send it to you. But, um, yeah, so I just always like that sort of thing. You know, I've always kind of, you know, had an interest and still probably will the rest of my life. Right. Yeah, I don't, don't want to mess with that. I don't not want to mess with that stuff. No, I don't think I'll ever go back to anything like a prison or, you know, so much negative energy there. And, and honestly, I was quite naive when I went in. Like, now as an adult, I just realize, you know, it's not fun because it's someone else. I mean, I feel like it's just negative energy and it can like stick to you. Yeah. As I actually did. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you brought something home from yeah that, I you? actually, yeah. So I remember we drove home in the morning and when I got home to my apartment, I cleaned the whole day, you know, I took a little nap, but then I cleaned all day and I went to bed early and my closet doors were shut. I did everything. And about four in the morning I hear bam. And it scared the shit, can I say shit? Sure. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. And I, I, I woke, I sat up in bed and I'm like, what was that? And I lived in a townhouse. So I thought, well, maybe it was my neighbors. But then I, um, I ended up uh, g getting out of bed and looking and my clo closet door was open and one of my shoes was across the uh, room. So, and I also think I had a lady downstairs playing with my garbage bag <laughs> in my trash can. So she would hear that going, it was weird. Hmm. You actually saw the shoe fly across the room? No, I didn't see it, but I know that my closet was closed 
You know what I mean? All my shoes, because I just cleaned everything. And I it, it was right near the wall. And why would that shoe be out? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it was scary. And um, I think the ghost was like, oh, you're kind of boring. So it le- I only had like a couple more things and then nothing. So I think it left because I was boring. <laughs> They're like, all she likes to do is eat cereal for you know dinner and go to bed at nine. <laughs> it's like boring. <laughs> anyway, ghosts are exciting. No, they're not. Ghost hunters <laughs> rule. Squatchers rule. <laughs> you're, so you're not afraid of a monster in the woods, but you're afraid of a ghost. I just don't like messing with that stuff. I know they're, yeah. I've seen a couple, and I know they're there, but yeah. I, just, I, mean, I just, it's just like, what are they? Yeah, what are they? You know, it is. It's strange. Well, ghosts, I mean, are just residual person energy, but it's the other, the other entities that aren't human. Mm-hmm. those are the things that I do not want anything to do with. I know. I just finished a book, The Demon on Brownsville Road, about a local haunting where I'm from in Pittsburgh. And one of the ex-mayors wrote this book. He had this huge haunting, and it took years for him to get rid of it with, like, tons of the, the, the Catholic priests doing exorcisms in the house. I mean, years. And, I mean, if he's lying, I don't know why he would lie about it. I think it's true, but... Man, it was really scary. His walls actually bled, and he got the um, the material that was on the walls tested, and it was um, skin cells and mildew. Ooh. Yeah, and it looked like blood, he said, but it was actually tested with but skin cells. Like, what is that? Creepy. Look at your DNA profile. I know. I'll find out if I can get it. Send it to Meldrum. <laughs> yeah, right. Does he do ghost stuff too? Meldrum? Yeah. He's had a ghost experience. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let I'll let Jeff speak for himself. But yeah, it was on uh, I think um Mayanzinski's property. It was John Mayanzinski's guest cabin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he had a ghost experience. He's really? just so much more open minded than most people realize. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Just, I love Jeff. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah, he's really funny too. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he's so smart. You know, like smart people tend to be very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mel, so Mary and Cliff are obviously thrust into the Bigfoot thing pretty hard. Do you have any resentment, like when he takes off in the middle of the night or doesn't come home? No, no never. You know, I um, one of the things that I think is great about our relationship is that we are still ourselves. Um, and we'd let the other person be who they are. And like, I'm totally a weirdo. I make horror masks and weird bloody things all the time. And Cliff's lets me do that, you know, and doesn't say much about it. And uh, I, I think it's the same thing. Like his passion is Bigfoot and I love it as well. Um, it's not my passion, but um, like I said, I would never stop him from going after what he wants to, um, you know, uh, words. <laughs> I would never get in the way of, of him trying to, you know, find out what this thing is and getting evidence. I mean, that's, I don't know, it's exciting and I'm happy for him. And he, he does that um, a lot actually lately. He's been getting calls to go out and, and I'm always like, yeah, go. I would never tell him no. He never has to ask, ask permission. Uh, even yeah. though he does. For I got to get you to take it out Karita a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Karita. Hi Karita. Um, not here right now, but she needs to, She's a little bit more of that attitude. <laughs> well, I, like I said, like, I, I think 
you know, we all have our things and we have, it's like a balance, you know, relationships, you got to like, it's give and take, you know? And I, and like I said, I, I want Cliff to find out there's a big fight. I want him to get evidence. I want him to be part of that team. And, um, and cause I think that will ultimately make him happy, the happiest, you know, and that, that's what we want for each other. He wants me to be happy. I want him to be happy and I'm always going to be here for you no matter what. So, uh, Oh, very well, speaking you know. of which, you know, you were talking about Bigfoot encounters you had on this show, but you've had some possible Bigfoot activ activity right at your house with you and Cliff up there in Oregon. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I, uh, I think the very first thing that happened was on our – we had a housewarming party, and uh, we had about – I don't know how many people over here, but – a dozen or a something. A dozen or so. Yeah. And um, so that we had a fire pit outside and most people were out there. I was actually, unfortunately, inside. Well, there were only four of us out there. Oh, were there only four? Yeah, okay. it was uh, Keith and Tom Powell and Mike Leone and I. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. There was only four. Okay, so everyone else was in here. Because I think it was kind of rainy or something. I don't know. I remember there being It was cold. Mist. It was November. Yeah, it was cold. Anyway, so you can tell what happened actually. Oh, on yeah. Then, then, and, and basically, yeah, we're out there drinking beers around the fire and one yelled. I mean, uh, it, it wasn't one of those. Is that a coyote or is that a Bigfoot? No, it was a it was a Sasquatch. It was one of those, like the like one of the, it sounded like a big dude yelling, you know, sort of thing. And uh, it was you know from you know down slope from us or whatever. Mm -hmm. We didn't invite the Bigfoots to the housewarming party, but I'm glad they showed up. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah that our was, neighbors weren't home either. Yeah, neighbors night. weren't home that night. In fact, they came. They dropped by on the way back in. Cause you know, I live on a, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we live on, um, a dead end road basically. So there's only a couple of houses past us and they weren't around. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that, that was really exciting because, you know, like most people, um, when I was looking for a location for our property, mm -hmm. um, I based it on sighting reports like most people <laughs> do. Um, and so we're, we're about three miles away from a cluster of about five reports or more. And probably even closer now that I've we've opened the museum and more stuff's been coming in. I, I realize what a good spot this is. Um, and they're not here. It's not like you know the, uh, some habituation, quote unquote. It's we've lived here for two and a half years, and there's mm -hmm. been a handful of things that you know yeah. we can take to the bank, so to speak, and go. Yeah, that was that was one. I think Bigfoot was welcoming us to the neighborhood. <laughs> Perhaps. I think it, oh, hey, you know. Yeah. I'll say certainly, my certainly congrats. Tom Powell thinks that. You know. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh God, Tom, I love him. Um, you so that happened like pretty much when we moved in and then I don't remember what would come next. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe... I, we've kept a journal. Yeah. Um, we have a journal, but unfortunately, um, uh, Melissa doesn't go outside very often at night anymore. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I was taking Sochi out the one night and, um, and I heard this, it was almost like the same thing I heard in, um, in New York, I'm sorry, in Maine was that like, Ultra, uh, was, um, what's it called? The sound? Deep federal growl. Yeah, like, a, oh, wait, actually, no vocalization. It was like something jumped down from our wood line to where our woods are and then landed in our, our tree grove that we have uh, apple trees. Well, it sounded like a big thump. Basically. It sounded like a thump, but like, oh my gosh, so loud and scary. Yeah, it like, was I remember so, you said you felt it, you know. I felt it like in my, my soul. It was so, <laughs> um, I might be dramatic, but it was very, very uh, loud and it scared the hell out of me. And I came in and um, I called Cliff right away. Because he was away, of course. When yeah. I have my experiences, Cliff is not here. Yeah, generally speaking, I, that doesn't happen a lot when I'm around, which yeah. fits the profile pretty well, yeah. too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, so he, uh, he, he said, turn on all the cameras outside, which I did not want to do because I don't really, I'm alone and I don't want to see it, you know, <laughs> but um, I did. And he talked me through it and then, you know, everything was fine. Nothing happened for a while after that, but I'm not sure what well, that it was. was the next was... night that uh, that thing was tapping on the outside of the house. Oh my gosh. That's right. So you came home the next day. Yeah. I came home the next day. And, and see, this got... is why we have a journal. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, and you've heard whoops around the house. Yeah, another time Cliff wasn't home. Every time he leaves the house, going outside, going to the car, trash, whatever, he always does a whoop. I can't do it, but that's no, sort of what it is. Thank great. you. That's the thing he does all the time. And I was taking the dog out again at night, and lo and behold, I hear that, like, really loud, like, whoop. And it came, you know, up from the tree line on our property and Sochi heard it. She was out there, our dog, Sochi heard it too. And uh, I was like, Oh, that's just cliff. And then I thought, Oh my gosh, she's not here. It sounded just like you. And it was like when the realization hit me that you weren't even home, like then I got creeped out. Yeah. And I went in the house. <laughs> yeah. Now when I, when I'm not home, I mean, she, she likes to spend time alone. It's, it's fine. It's, she's a, a wonderfully introverted woman. Um, but, uh, when, when I'm not here for a night, She'll close all the windows and close all the blinds and, you know, lock all the doors. And um, whereas if I'm here, she'll, you know, the, the, the windows stay open because we have no neighbors. We don't have to worry about that sort of thing. So, yes, I got <laughs> yes the more recent stuff too, the stump. Oh, that we're a little unsure I, I, of. I can't say. At this point. Yeah. Yeah, because there is something reddish colored up there, but it's, it's hard to say what that was. It depends on what time of day it is because of the way the light moves here, because it's a slope, a hillside. So it loses light earlier in the day. Right. But when I saw it, the sun was, I think, out, and then it was, and then I didn't see it anymore. So I'm not really sure. Yeah, basically, the, for for the listeners, um, Melissa was uh, at the kitchen sink doing like something, maybe dishes. I don't know what it was. <laughs> she she left for a moment, and when she came back, something that was up there before was not there any longer, and it was yeah. reddish colored. And um, so she didn't know she was looking at anything at the time, so she didn't have a chance to study it or whatever. She just noticed it was missing. When yeah. she came back, it was thick. I, I I don't know. It was it stood out to me, and then within ten minutes, I came back to the sink and I noticed it wasn't gone. Yeah, so, so it's a maybe kind of. Yeah. yeah, because when Cliff did a, we did the whole thing that you guys do on Bigfoot. You know, was it this wide? How far away was it? You know, we, he went up on the hillside, and there is a huge game trail behind him. Yeah. So yeah. that's weird. I mean, that's yeah. So it's a it's I a maybe. I, that one's hard to say much about, but. You know, we keep that one in mind. And it's on the same hill that we've heard knocks from. And we've mm -hmm. heard things crawling around up there. Mm -hmm. She saw something um, uh, fur-colored and black dart into the brush mm -hmm. about a year and a year ago, year and a half yeah, ago or I'd something up in there. Could have been a bear, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's too hard to tell. It's really thick. But black black hair, I did see. But like I said, I, it could have been a bear. Yeah, it was during. Uh, it wasn't during winter, so like uh, you know, there was there were leaves on all the trees, and yeah, it's a pretty thick hillside. I mean, you've seen it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I think the the mo the more <laughs> strange thing, I, I would say, a few, what was it like two months ago, three months ago now, when in our bedroom? Oh, oh yeah, that, that, that was, was in November too. Okay, so. Yeah, November. It's a yeah, hot, November's it's a, a good time spot. of year for us. Um, but I, we were in bed. Um, Cliff had gone earlier that day, bigfooting to check out this one area, and I was home. And then he came home. We ended up going to bed, and it was after one thirty in the morning. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, right in there. And we both woke up, and there was a freaking Ohio howl in our bedroom, 
It sounded like it at least. I mean, and I said, is that you? And Cliff's like, no. And it was the strangest thing because it sounded like it was in the room. And, and I don't know. And Sochi was in the room, but she was dead asleep and she doesn't make those noises. No, yeah. She kind of like fluffed, like, uh, shook herself out after it, but she didn't, didn't really seem I think to bother it woke her. her up and she didn't. Yeah. I don't know. It was yeah. But it was, a, it was like a, what a, a two second Ohio howl. Oh my like God. That. It was so scary. <laughs> I knew it would be good because Cliff called me super excited. Like he never gets that excited. He's always all, who knows, maybe possibly. And he's like. Dude, we got an Ohio house. We heard it in the bedroom. Like in the house. Yeah. It well, was so weird. Well, you know what it made me think of is like, because it really did sound like it was in the room, but you know, we're asleep too. Mm. We were asleep. And so you, you wake up, you're kind of dumb. I thought I thought the dog did it until, you know. You realize I, she's never made that yeah, sound. She doesn't make that noise. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, but the, what, what it reminded me of is the um, that the, the idea that Sasquatches are um, ventriloquists. You know, they can throw their voice. I've heard, you know, uh, people hold on to that mythology about them. Um, but, I mean, that's not what ventriloquism is, so it doesn't make sense, of course. But it, it kind of reminded me of that in a way. It's like, oh, well, maybe that's what they're talking about, you know, because it sure did sound like it was pretty much right in the room. Are you talking about being somewhere else and having your voice be somewhere else? Well, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Another... Like, some, oh, like okay. some, there are some uh, uh, native legends about these things, um, being able to throw their voice around and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And um, but you know, just, just the other night, we uh, most and I did an experiment where I went outside mm-hmm. and I tried to replicate the sound. And um, from our our little experiment the other night, it seems that the thing had to be pretty much right up against the windows mm-hmm. to um, to uh, replicate that the 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 loudness of the sound and uh, you know make it sound like it was coming from inside the room. So. Yeah. Like, and that, that's why I shut my blinds, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> because if there are Sasquatches standing outside my bedroom window looking at me while I'm sleeping, this is why I shut my blinds. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. how you, that's how you know you really got a big foot around because all the curtains will be closed, especially on the bottom floors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's freaky. There's lots of weird things walking around here. So lots of uh, cougars and bear, uh, coyotes. Yeah, Cliff, you got to put up some of your uh, game cam photos on the YouTube version. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can get those to Jeff, and he can upload those. To, yeah, sure. Nice. You guys get some big cats there, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, we haven't had a cat for a little while now. I don't know where he is, but uh, – um, uh, and bears, too. We've been getting a couple bears this year, like big ones. Yeah. And then more than one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a big female, I think, a uh, big sow, I guess. And then, uh, there's another yearling walking around here somewhere. Yeah. The cats are terrifying. I actually made, um, a hoodie. Um, I made a head on the back of one of my hoodies. So it looks like a face. Yeah. Like, like she, a latex face on the back of her hoodie. So she can go for walks on the property and be less frightened. <laughs> Cause cats, yeah. only, they attack from behind. Actually, you know, you know what's even better? Wear a ponytail. Oh, they won't attack, and they're they're confused by seeing two necks, and they're oh. Well, I heard that from that moneymaker himself. Oh, so well, there you go. Then I I believe it's true. Yeah, that was my favorite one. Someone someone was heckling when when we had long hair. They were talking talking smack on Twitter. Moneymaker said. It's a safety precaution. There's a lot of mountain lions around here, and the ponytail throws them off. Oh, love it. I love, love it. Oh, that's so good. I know. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
So you, you don't, you just don't want to see a Bigfoot because you think it'll just freak you out too much. You'd be too scared to go outside at all. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really feel that they would really want anything to do. I don't know. I feel like they're passive mostly. Um, from the some of the stories that I've heard, the only time they're really aggressive is if you know they're um, maybe hunting in the process of hunting something that you're near, you know, or maybe they have a family around or something like that, you know, like their little ones or just like any other, you know, apex predator would be protective. Right. Um, I, I that's how I feel. I feel like generally speaking, they're not out to get me. I think mountain lions are. I'm probably wrong about that, but I'm very scared of them. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, people always say to me too at the shop, they say, well, there, there were monsters and they're mean. Um, do you think they're all mean? And that's a very common question. And I, I say, I think they're just like people and the fact that there's different temperaments and different personalities, you know, and I think there's some that are jerks and that want to scare you. And I think they're, most of them are fine, you know, yeah. from no experience. <laughs> Well, even Paul Edis doesn't think that the missing 411 people are Bigfoot victims now. He doesn't? No, he thinks almost none of them are. He said very few. Yeah, well, I get asked, I get asked a lot about that, the 411 books in the shop. And, you know, I, some of them, the, the little kids who say that the, you know, the hairy man carried them for a couple miles. Like, what else do you have except for Sasquatches? But I think there's a, you can't attribute all that stuff to one cause. Right, right. People love those books. Oh my we gosh, have they sold, totally love those we books. We sell them all the time there. They, um, yeah, they love that mystery of the missing people. And honestly, I tell them too, you know, keep in mind that most national parks and forests and such are in poorer counties. So if you're hiking in a poor county that they don't have a lot of money and you get lost, they only have so much money and time, you know, to uh, look for you because they don't have the the the, the spending money, you know to fund it. So if you're going to go hiking, go in a rich County. Right. <laughs> so it's like, people just get lost. I mean, I, I got lost near Mount St. Helens once Yeah. and it was terrifying. And, uh, I, it's so easy out here, especially out here, you know, it's so thick and dense with forests and, uh, lots of, you know, drop-offs and cliffs and it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, it is. So, um, Bobo, uh, are you aware that Melissa has seen a UFO? Yeah. Uh, That's a good segue. I know I know that story. Let me think. Mel's UFO story. The daytime. It was day. Yeah, I was driving to work, and um, I was in Pittsburgh at the time, and I left for work, and I saw this thing in the sky. It was a cigar shape, right? And, I, and I've studied UFOs since the March... 13th, uh, 1997 Phoenix lights that, that I know that got me. I'm like, Oh my God, the whole entire city saw it. It's amazing. And, um, so John I McCain saw it, right? Yeah. I think it was, I think it was McCain. Yeah. 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 He was one of the witnesses. Um, so ever since that event, I was just, I know that that, that was huge for me. I, I just couldn't believe that that was happening. And, um, so I studied up and I did see something that looked like at first I thought it was a blimp. And then as I drove, I kept my eye on it and I was like, no, that's actually, like a cigar shape, you know? And what was different though, as I kept driving um, unsafely, cause I was looking at the sky the whole time, <laughs> but I noticed that there were these white balls of light that were going in and around the clouds around it. And it was just that I'd never seen that before. And I thought, well, maybe were those like seagulls or something like, what are those? 
And I looked it up and seagulls don't go that high up. They don't go to the clouds, you know, um, they can't make it up that high. So I, 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 I saw an unidentified flying object with like bright orbs around it, white lights. How did it end? Had your encounter? I had to go to work. So I pulled in and then I lost sight of it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And it's one of those cases too, like many other Sasquatch stories. And, and, um, when they see one, you know, they, I didn't have, a, I didn't have my camera phone thing, you know, and that's, that's what gets you, but it's like, they know that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. But it was, I mean, it was incredible. And my sister had one, um, a really good UFO story. Uh, when I was in college, she told me, and she's pretty religious, pretty much doesn't believe in anything, but like, yeah, you know, she, she like, you know, she's very conservative Christian, you know, I will say, and she doesn't have a lot of like uh, room in her mind for anything that's not in there, like in her belief system, but she's a wonderful person, very open-minded, but like with UFOs, you know, she'd never really want to talk about that stuff. So she actually had a sighting. Is and, this twin? Oh, uh, when? Is, isn't she your twin? Oh, no, she's four years older. Oh. Sorry. People say we do look alike. Yeah, it was a long, painful labor. It was really long. Yeah. My poor mom. Yeah, four and a half year four labor. <laughs> <laughs> she does look like me, though. We do look alike. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you guys both. Um, yeah, she's amazing, though. I love her too. I'm not. I'm just saying, like, for her to see this, this was really big, and 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 it really changed things for her because she saw a boomerang. It was at nighttime. She went to pick up her daughter at the um, person's house that watched her for the day. And she saw this boomerang shaped thing with lights on it and it was winter time. So it was dark and it went right over her car and followed her. And she was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, what is that? So she went to pick up Emily, her daughter, and she, she like didn't see it anymore. You know, she pulled up the driveway. She's like, wait, it's not here. Okay. Whatever. So she got her daughter, came back in the car, started coming down the driveway again. And that thing went right over the tree lines in front of her again. And she called her husband's dad for some reason and was like, I don't know what to do. There's a UFO. And, um, and, 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 uh, yeah. And he says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause he, you know, didn't believe, um, but it scared her. And then it, it, it followed her for about a mile and she decided to just keep going and see what happened. And she was terrified. She had her baby in there with her. And, um, and it ended up just like going away eventually, but it, it was like within, within a mile, it kind of followed her and then she lost sight of it, but she said it didn't make any sound. And the light, I mean, there were like seven or six lights around the circular, right in the boomerang shape. Um, so I was very jealous when she had her sighting because it was before mine. <laughs> you know how sisters are. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I don't, but uh, yeah, actually I only have one brother. You know how so. brothers are. Yeah. I know how you two are. <laughs> yeah. But it was really cool, and I, I was so excited, and you know, for her to have her mind open like that. But uh, yeah, speaking of UFOs, I'm going to be in Conspiracy Kirk's upcoming book about UFOs. Oh, are you? Nice. I'm his main witness. What was your uh, What was your story? UFO story. Uh, it's the same one I've told a million times. It's I was up. Uh, God, when was it? It was ninety. It was in the. It was in the. Uh, early nineties from like 89 to 93, I think it was, we were for about four years. We were seeing UFOs down here a lot. Wow. And yeah, I went out, um, we were going to this place, Patrick's point state park. And it's a big point that sticks out of the ocean. There's a long, long beach. I think it's, they said it's the second longest continuous beach in the U S or something. 
But this, this beach comes down all the way from Crescent City, basically down to down to uh, Patrick's Point, and the jets out about a half mile into the ocean. And it's a spot I used to go surf all the time. And anyways, I was going up. I was doing my first Bigfoot investigation where I was the actual the person that got the first report. I got it from this guy Larry was going to college with, and he was up at uh, Freshwater. Um, he was at Redwood Creek up in Oric. And he was right off the highway there where the levee starts. And he saw Bigfoot cross the creek right in front of him in the fog when he was fishing, like an eight, eight and a half foot buff bodybuilder looking male one. And we were driving up. I got uh, my license was suspended at the time. So I, just <laughs> had to ride, I had to get a ride up there. And these two girls gave me a ride up. We were driving up in a VW bug. And we were going to, we were going to camp the night up in uh, Redwoods and then scout for the you know the tracks i was gonna try to cast something next morning on the way up there we saw a freaking red and white ufo flying out over the ocean and we pulled over to watch it and there was another car pulled over in front of us a couple hundred like maybe 100 yards wow it was a chp a power patrol officer and he was and I, we pulled up to him and i was like hey man you gotta call the call us in you know and he just laughed said i ain't calling that any crazy i said it's right there you know you're a good witness you can so listen to you. He just, I, he just laughed and walked away from us. But really? We, yeah, we drove to Patrick's Point and then watched them. Uh, there ended up being a total of nine by the time the night was over. These things came out and danced around. And one of them actually flew over the 101 highway and lit up the whole area like daylight blue and green color. And there was a couple cars on the 101 they stopped, like didn't drive into the light. Wow. Yeah, it was it was nuts, and it was it, this this. Then over the next four years, I must have went up there eighty-five to ninety nights. I think I can't remember how many exactly. I used to have it written down, but just under ninety nights did we see him up there. We were going up there all the time. Wow, that is so neat. Uh, I I just seeing more than one at the same time would just be epic. You know, I, I know you're from down there. Is there any uh, chance you've ever seen like a USO, which is an unidentified submerged object, like coming out of the water or going in? No, but I did see, uh, I'm not sure. I think it was a, some kind of meteorite, but it was, I know it was in the San Francisco Chronicle and the Portland paper. Mm -hmm. uh, a huge, this was, I think, I think it was 95. I was drag fishing shrimp off Cape Mendocino. We were way out in dark deep deep water off the canyon out there and this blue ball of light flew across the sky and it, it kind of came from the north northeast heading to the south southwest mm -hmm. and we had the radio on it we were it was about 10 o'clock at night or 9 50 or something and we were shoveling the decks off all the bycatch and so we we're just cleaning the decks and all of a sudden the whole place lit up like daylight and you could see the whole horizon horizon was just blue and this thing sh rocketed down and you could hear all the boats talking about it like the radio's going what is that you know like because it's all you're all on the same channel mm -hmm. they saw it. the guys off the Farallon islands off of san francisco where they film all the shark stuff the, the fishermen off Farallon saw it dive into the water off the Farallons, and then the newspaper said it was a meteorite or something but the guys that saw it go into the water said they didn't think it was they thought it was a some UFO or something that turned into, I guess, what a USO at that point. Boing, 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 boing. 
You know what yep. that is? That's X Files. Oh, X Files. So what are you boinging about? <laughs> <laughs> or we can do the hellier. I've listened. I've lived on the coast my whole life, and I've been a commercial fisherman and a surfer and a diver, and um, got plenty of friends with private planes. And I know the guys from the helicopter crews of the Coast Guard. And I don't know anyone that's ever seen one of those. I've heard some great stories of people seeing them in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never met anyone or known anyone that's seen one out here. Yeah, I think I've only read about like Catalina Island was a hotspot for a while for those. Um, also, as you said, the Atlantic Ocean. But I was just curious. It's very interesting. Uh, it really right. cut, it was a spot for those. What? You said mm-hmm. Catalina Island was a USO spot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard about. Uh, I've never heard from a witness, but I've maybe read or somebody somebody was t- ranting about these things or whatever. And uh, long before Melissa, like, uh, and Catalina <laughs> came up then too. So. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But then again, there's the navies down there too, and I'm sure the government's up to all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure that they've reverse engineered things. I don't know, possibly. Oh. You know, if, if if these things and vessels are real, I'm sure our government knows and can probably. They've probably learned a lot from the technology, you know, through them. So. Yeah, I, I did this old man. Uh, I can't remember how I, I don't remember how I knew him now. It was a long time ago. And he was the second licensed commercial abalone diver in California at the end of World War II, like in 1946. And he was diving in the Channel Islands. I'm not sure. I, I think it was just the island north of Catalina, I think. But he saw a sea monster out there, is what he called it. Whoa. Like it sounds like it was a Cadbrosaurus or something like that. You describe it as one of those things, like a you know, horse head, snake monster thing. Yeah, I can't remember the exact description, but he said it was a straight up sea monster. It had, <clears throat> he said it had big, gnarly. He said it was definitely a carnivore looking at the teeth, and he said it was it was big, and it came right by him and scared him so bad he never, never went back. He was <laughs> making tons of money. He'd been working for like two months, made more money than he made in his whole life combined. He's a young guy, and then mm-hmm. he thinks to him by. He said he saw a bunch of great whites, but um, he had just got out of the war in the Navy, and they used to tell him, sharks are cowards. Punch them in the nose, and they'll swim away. So he said he never worried about all the white sharks. He said, even though they were giant. Hmm. Ugh. There's a lot of whiteies down there, man. Oh, there's so many now. Oh, yeah. They, they, back when I was working in the tackle stores in the 90s down in Southern California, they made it illegal to, to fish those things, which is good, I think. I don't think we need to kill those, right? Um, they're not food items or anything, and they're smart and mm-hmm. everything. But uh, um, since then, man, the population has just exploded, which well, is great because, frankly, there's too many uh, seals and sea lions anyway. Right. Well, the, the, the real issue was that in 1990, they banned the nearshore gill netting. Which, oh, yeah, that helped, for which sure. Killed, which killed the majority. That was by far the majority of great, great white deaths was in those inshore gill nets. So they, because they, they'd string them straight across like Tamales Bay, which is like one of the biggest breeding grounds for them. And they'd just catch all the pups coming out and the pregnant females going in. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. there's been an explosion. And that was their traditional um the traditional Great White Zone was Southern California, Santa Monica Bay, and then Orange County, Northern San Diego. That's where all the the uh, 
juvenile and you know sub juvenile white sharks hung out. They'd feed on the fish and mostly the rays. There's such a huge population of rays, stingrays, and stuff down there that they'd feed on those. Yeah, I saw this cool documentary where they were trying to track this female uh, white shark. That I think they tagged it or something in uh, Guadalupe Island down in Mexico, and then they they tracked it and went up to Oregon. It came back down the uh, past the the tip of Baja and went up in Baja somewhere to where the Colorado River used to you know actually flow into the ocean. But now um, Los Angeles and everybody else takes so much water from the Colorado River, it doesn't even reach the ocean anymore, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But um, they used to be one of the richest estuaries in in the world, basically. Uh, but uh, but during the in, during that documentary, they they put game cameras out underwater um, in Santa Monica Bay, like motion sensor game cameras, basically looking 360 degrees. And they got all sorts of pictures of juvenile white sharks, like three to five footers. It was so cool. And, and, you know, being down there and being part of the fishing industry, like I was, I'd, I'd hear about white sharks here and there and that sort of thing. And uh, I would often hear about small ones, like six to 10 footers in, um, in Santa Monica Bay. And now since, you know, the, the moratorium on fishing those things has happened, um, you can go on YouTube and see pictures of people paddle boarding at, at my old fishing spots like Sunset Beach where the water tower is. Um, and there's a guy paddle boarding there or maybe kayaking. I, I think he was paddle boarding, though, with like a couple of juvenile white sharks to mm-hmm. like to leisurely swimming right behind him right outside the surf. Like how cool is that, man? If I was down there fishing perch or whatever and I saw those things breaching, you know, jumping out of the water, doing what they do and stuff. How cool. It's really cool. Yeah. That'd be a good uh, strategy for people who hunt sea monsters, too. To do what? Game cams underneath oh, sure. water. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when we filmed, uh, when we were filming Mysterious Encounters with Doug Hijack, the guy who ended up doing Monster Quest. When we were filming here, he threw in three cameras hoping to catch K-Moss or a Great White at the mouth of the Klamath River. Cool. Yeah, huh, that's cool. So the whole time cool. we were filming here that week, the game cams were deployed underwater out there, and all they got was a bunch of sea lions and salmon. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I saw my first whale at the Klamath. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. We stopped up. Yeah, we went up on Flint Ridge. Oh, okay. So you can oversee mm-hmm. the ocean right there, you know? That's great. And, uh, oh, it was great. Yeah, then uh, and the, the the whale stuck its head out of the water and everything. Like, it, it, was, it was pretty exciting. cool. exciting. Yeah, it was my first time. I was screaming. <laughs> I'll bet. I, I was. Yeah, it was funny, and I wasn't even there. I went off. Uh, I went off in the in the in the brush to take a dump. <laughs> you did, <laughs> and I missed it. You did. Oh, like, you missed it. Yeah, but uh, I think it, I think you might have seen. I think well, I, I saw it. I yeah. saw it later. It, yeah, but but I wasn't sure what but I. She saw. started screaming and stuff. And it's like I'm taking a dump in the woods, <laughs> and she's my wife's screaming. It's like what in the world? Oh, this is not good. <laughs> I'm gonna cut this short. <laughs> oh, sorry, honey. But yeah, it was very, I, I, uh, the spelt, you know, I saw that first and I was like, oh my gosh, is that what I think it was? It's yeah, pretty exciting. I can see, I see him from my house sometimes. Oh, pretty awesome. I bet you have such an amazing view there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's this time of year, it's kind of windy, but so there's a lot of white caps and glare. It's hard to see them, but when it's, it's not real windy and big swell, like when it's calmer, like in the morning, if there's not a big swell. Yeah, we'll see mm-hmm. them. Out. They don't. They don't do too much like spy hopping or breaching. It's mostly just. It's mostly them just. You know, the best I'll usually see is is maybe the flukes come up high. You know, do the whale tail. Mhm. Mhm. 
they're, oh, they're so beautiful. Yeah, they, we got great whale watching from shore here because the well, that place I was talking about, Patrick's Point, where where we uh, saw the UFOs. That's a, that's a good whale watching spot because you can be those cliffs go right up to the edge of the water, so you can get a good down look on them. We'll have to stop there sometime. We're driving down. Yeah, I'm gonna go to Bobo's UFO spot. <laughs> oh man, I didn't tell you the crazy part of that. Like what happened a few years later at the same spot, but it's all in Kirk's new book. Okay. <laughs> oh, nice. Leave us hanging because that's a good that's a good strategy there. Yeah. Like that. Did you see Men in Plaid? <laughs> like Kirk. It got pulled down. I had it. Cliff sent me the link. Then when I finally looked, clicked on it, he pulled it down because of some school issues or something. But students oh. making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on with, with with Kirk right now. But yeah, I mean that's just. I mean, any guy that had a confrontation with Men in Plaid after a sighting, and not Men in Black, he, he just that's pretty compelling. <laughs> yeah, it's also a really good band name. Yeah, really good band name, Men in Plaid. Yeah, that's good. I'd go. <laughs> I'd go to their show. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the. the uh, Kirk's three piece, the conspiracy Kirk Quartet can open up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> well, that was fun. And thank you so much for having me on. I, like I said, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I, I would have never guessed where my life was going to take me. Uh, I love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm super, uh, I know how, you know, lucky I am to be in this world with Cliff and, um, share all this, you know, mystery with everybody. And I mean, in the museum too, it's been great. Getting to learn more and more about the species, and I don't know. It's just I'm just thankful for everything. We're thankful that you came into our lives, Mel. Oh, I certainly am. Oh, double aw. <laughs> thanks, guys. So I love you too, and uh, thanks again for having me on. Right on. Thanks for doing it. That was great. And like I said at the beginning, I mean, here you were sitting under our noses the whole time, and we, you know, like we had people cancel, and we're like, God, who can we get? Who can we get? It never even occurred to me that. We had a great guest right there sitting next to Cliff. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> well, that was very kind of you. I'm happy to fill it in any space you have. Okay. And, oh my god, if you get Grandpa, oh my gosh, that's gonna be funny. Yeah, well, we, we got to. I mean, because we want to get a couple of the people from Finding Bigfoot on, just because the, the behind the scenes stories are always the most fun. Yeah. And that's really what what spurred me to think. Well, let's get Melissa. She was on the show. She's into weird stuff, obviously. Yeah. She owns, she owns a Bigfoot museum. She has a lot of experience. You know, mm -hmm. she's a, she's a great guest. Well, thank you, sweetie. Oh, sure. Yeah, Gramps and Mantu said they want to come on together. Okay, oh, that'd be man. great. Fantastic. Cool. Yes, yeah, it's, it's Skype, man. We can. I mean, just everybody has their own line. Why not? Yeah. Great, man. Well, you guys have a good one up there. How are you too, Bobs? All right, take it easy, man. Miss you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to Bigfoot Beyond with Cliff and Bubba. We appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 